0: Clovis the Second
1: Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale where we review, rate and rank all the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon III
0: the script <laughs> sorry about this guys <laughs> okay. who will be selected as the creme de la creme and who will be sent to the guillotine
1: jean m'appelle ben clark
0: and i'm eliza summers
1: um yeah so with that that that's our intro we're gonna say it every time until you memorize it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you can always say something different you don't have to say it the same thing
0: every- i don't
1: know what i don't know <laughs> But you, we we gotta say the guillotine bit because yeah, that's, like, that's our gim that's our gimmick.
0: Yeah, that's what um it's
1: and we'll see if we have to use it this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this week we're talking about King Clothar the Second, aka Clothar the Young. Okay,
0: that makes it easier.
1: Yeah, last time, well, last official episode we talked about Clothar the Old, Clothar the First. And now we're talking about Clothar the Young, his grandson. He's also sometimes known as Clothar the Great.
0: Ooh, a great.
1: Mm, a great. Ooh. So we might I have a like good... can't be on
0: the level though of Alexander or Catherine.
1: Yeah, well, we'll I don't we'll
0: know. We'll have
1: to find out. I don't know. Um, so I have some bad news. What? We've gotten to the end of Gregory of Tour. Yes. <laughs> you didn't like it? Oh, he
0: was just laughing on and on and like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. He hated all the interesting people.
1: Yeah, he did like the interesting people. Um. Except for Clotilda. He loved Clotilda. Oh yeah, he did. Um, but he didn't like Fredegund, who's sort of like the anti-Clotilda. Yeah. And <laughs> um, loved Fredegund. Yeah. And she is the mother of our current king that we're talking about. So yeah, so we've gone to the end of Area of tour We're now relying on new sources, Yay. which aren't really as good. So we've got the Liber Historiae Francorum, which is a late Merovingian source. And we don't know who wrote that. But it takes a fairly sort of positive view of the Merovingian kings. Mm. We've also got the Chronicle of Fredegar, which was made in Charlemagne's time, which takes the opposite, very <laughs> negative view of the Merovingian kings. Um, and it talks about their descent into d- degenerate, idle, lazy kings uh, that needed to be replaced by Charlemagne's dynasty, the <laughs> Carolingians. Um but either way, they're both produced like a century after the events we're talking about. So, so you can't. Have them
0: as very realistic.
1: Yeah, we're back in a very murky period, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I
0: and mean, that's what I like about ancient history, like, or more like older history, is that you can have more of the interpretations. Or yeah, make it up in your head.
1: We're gonna. Uh, yeah, I think we're gonna be a bit more interpretive <laughs> for the next few episodes. Um, there's not gonna be as many like long quotes because, unlike Gregory of Tours, both are really difficult to find online. And the hard copy translations are really expensive.
0: Yeah, they would be.
1: These books go for like a hundred euros and stuff like that. It's like too much. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm mainly relying on secondary sources. Okay. Um. So like, what history articles by modern historians and like encyclopedias.
0: Yeah.
1: Maybe some Wikipedia in there. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, unfortunately, we've got. Fewer lovely, colourful quotes to read. Yeah.
0: Well, let's hear about his life.
1: Yeah. So, um, Clothar II was born in 584, and while he was still a baby, or maybe even before he was born, his father gets assassinated in the woods. Um, and remember his father, King Chilperic?
0: Oh, yeah. He's yeah. A
1: king perry yeah yeah, Yeah. the nero and herod of his time as he's known so he is the he was the grandson of clovis and the son of clothar the first
0: um
1: and he was the he only ruled part of the frankish kingdom so we didn't do an episode on him but we did do an episode on his wife Fredegund. Um, Which if you haven't listened to that episode You really should Yeah, don't skip over the, the .5 episodes yeah. I, I'd They're say.
0: actually really good
1: Yeah, because we used her to sort of fill the gap in the history Where the Frankish kingdom wasn't unified So we didn't have a king to review um, Yeah, so Fredegund Right now, when we're talking about Is the nominal regent But she sort of, sort of Shares power with um, Clothar's uncle, Guntram Oh yeah. yeah The king of Burgundy It was
0: kind of nice though
1: yeah he's kind of nice um he became
0: neutral wasn't
1: he yeah he was neutral and he became a saint and he didn't have any kids um i think he had daughters but as we've learned they don't know they don't don't inherit anything under salic law um so he kind of doesn't have any ambitions i think so he can Mm. kind of just adopt his nephews as his successors um so, while Fredegund sheltered with her baby in the Cathedral of Paris, Guntram made himself the young king's protector. Um, but in 592, King Guntram dies, and Fredegund is now in full control. Um, and this is, we're talking about in the kingdom of Neustria, which is vaguely just like northern France, northern France today. Guntram dies, yeah. and he was kind of the only thing keeping the peace between Fredegund and her rival, Brunhilde. Who um, we talked about a bit last episode. Okay. The Franks, who were loyal to the boy king Clothar, managed to fight off an invasion from his cousins Theodebert and Theodoric, both the second Theodobert the second and Theodoric the second, <laughs> who are the kings of Austrasia. Well, technically, one of them is the king of Austrasia and one of them is the king of Burgundy because, like Guntram, sort of yeah. gave it to them. Um, but Brunhilde is the regent for both of them. they're, they're her grandsons. Oh, right. So she's the Queen grandmother. Oh. Yeah. Um, because she had a because her husband died young, and then her son died young, <laughs> but he left two sons. Um, so these we'll just call them the Theos, these yeah. two these two grandsons. So yeah, we've got Neustria is Team Fredegund, and Austrasia is team Brunhilde. But then in 597, Queen Fredegund dies.
0: Aww.
1: Uh, and Clothar takes the full reins of power in Neustria. How he, old is he? He's 13. Oh, wow, <laughs> I mean, according to the Franks, 13 is when you come of age. Oh. It's kind of like bar mitzvahs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he technically doesn't need a regent, according to the Frankish laws, but he's still 13. <laughs> still, can you imagine
0: like a year seven kid letting them be in charge?
1: Yeah. So, we had a bit of a discussion about whether Fredegund actually was a good ruler because yeah, we, we get a bit of silence in the period after Guntram dies and she's just ruling by herself. Um, but apparently, she was doing something right because the invasions from Austrasia seem to have been fended off during her reign. Um, but a few years after she died, between 599 and 600, uh, teenage Clothar loses a big chunk of his realm
0: oh no. to the
1: Theos slash Brunhilda
0: you win that back
1: yeah so the poor teenage king has to flee and he loses all of eastern Neustria so he like he loses Paris oh he to, yeah he has to go into like the sort of Loire region so like Anjou oh. and he has to sort of hunker down there
0: not a bad place to hunker down in yeah but a bit different to what we mentioned it as
1: <laughs> so and apparently a bit later in 604 Um, by which time Clothar's obviously gotten married and had children, even though he's, like, in his late teens. His eldest son, Merovec, who's probably still, like, a baby, um, is being moved for his safety. But in the process, he's caught by an Austracian noble called Berthold, and he's murdered.
0: Baby? His
1: baby gets murdered. Yeah. So not only is Clothar still, like, a teenager, but he's also a father, and his baby gets murdered. But, yeah and clothar apparently clothar later has his revenge by ordering Bertold's death
0: yes
1: but and and um there are some medieval illustrations that show him personally stabbing berthold <laughs> <laughs> um but as we know like the sources like to say that the king killed someone personally or did when it it all. Yeah, he probably just ordered their death or something.
0: He might have done it personally since it was his son that the
1: person. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he found him on the battlefield and he's, he's
0: like Laser
1: focus. Yeah.
0: like, I know you.
1: Yeah. Cause they were like fighting anyway, because Berthold's on the Austrasian side. So it was like
0: during battle. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I'm gonna catch you and kill you.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so over the next decade or so. Uh, Clothar is actually able to get some peace and quiet. Yes. Um, because even though the Theos have made sort of a bit of um headway into Neustria, they end up fighting among themselves. <laughs> uh so, so Brunhilda's
0: still alive?
1: Brunhilda's still alive, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um and yeah, so Clothar's able to get the hang of ruling a bit while they're squabbling, and their squabbles descend into ab absolute soap opera drama. So I'll just give a brief summa- summary of what's happening in, in Austrasia, the other kingdom. So Brunhilda's grandsons reach adulthood. And while they were kids, she could rule both their kingdoms as sort of one unit. So so that's Austrasia and Burgundy. But now they're reaching adulthood, things are getting a bit more complicated. Um, so they have a falling out. Uh, the elder son, Theodebert, banishes Brunhilde from his kingdom. So she's a, she goes over to stay with Theodoric. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hang on I haven't written what kingdom they belong to. I think Theodobert is Austrasia. Yeah. Okay. And um Theodoric is Burgundy.
0: Okay.
1: So Theodobert's in like Germany. Yeah. Theodoric's in like southeastern France. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um so Theodoric says, "Mom, you can come live here." Um, so Theodoric's the nice, the nice child. Yeah. Um, but Astracia, you know, can't be, di- af- can't afford to be divided against itself and they haven't destroyed Clothar the second yet. And Brunhilde is very much keen to see an end to the line of her enemy, Fredegund, um, who killed pretty much everyone she loved. Um, cause remember there was that long list of people that Fredegund supposedly killed. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Including maybe her husband, which we thought was a bit dubious. Yeah. So... Uh, Brunhilda obviously has to resolve the problems in Austrasia before she can start fighting Clothar again. Um, so she decides she's going to overthrow Theodbert and have Theodoric just be the king of all of the Austrasian realm. Does
0: that go well?
1: Um, well, it succeeds at first. Oh. So in 612, with the help of some of the local nobility, Brunhilda manages to coup against Theodbert. Oh. Um, his hair is cut, and he's put in a monastery uh, where he dies a short time later.
0: Oh, he just, oh. He just
1: disappears. He just falls oh, wow. off <laughs> falls off the face of the earth. Um, he might have been discreetly put to death. Who knows? So was that a son or
0: a grandson?
1: That was a grandson. Oh. yeah. Um, so the good uh, grandson, Theodoric, is now in power. But then this plan horribly backfires because less than a year after Theodobert is deposed, Theodoric dies of illness.
0: Uh, so it's like
1: a major... I was like, damn it! Yeah, but Theodoric has a son called the II. Okay, that's nice a little
0: bit different. So,
1: so now Brunhilde is the regent of her great-grandson. Uh,
0: like, oh, wow, <laughs> she's lived to be great.
1: She's yeah, she's like... lived to be a great-grandma. Um, everyone's just having children really young. Yeah. And she's the one person who seems to be living old enough. So, yeah. Brunhilde tries to make herself regent again, this time... Yeah, putting forward this little baby, Sigebert. Um, But unfortunately, the nobles rebel against her and abandon her. They're kind of fed up with this old lady who keeps bossing them around. Um, so instead, they swear allegiance to Clothar the ah. Second. Brunhilde takes Sigbert and his brother, Corbo, and <laughs> who are the last remnants of her family and who, who haven't either died or been put in a monastery. <laughs> um, and she flees into the Swiss Alps. Ooh. Um, stays in a nice chalet, maybe does some skiing. Um, <laughs> and she's trying to get the aid of the Goths who she's actually a Goth by birth. She's a, Visi- oh, yeah, yeah, she's a Visigoth. Yeah. Um, so she's going over to the Ostrogoths in Italy to try to get their help. But Clothar's henchmen catch up with her <gasps> at Lake Neuchâtel in Switzerland. Um, and they immediately kill Sigbert and Corbo.
0: Oh
1: And then they drag Brynhilde back to Burgundy, where Clothar is busy establishing his rule and receiving the fealty of the nobles.:
0: And so now
1: he's got all the France? Yeah, so it's six, so it's 6:13, and Clothar, now in his early 30s, is king of all the Franks. So this is the youngest king of all the Franks we've had so far. Ooh, yeah. Previously, like Clothar the, Clothar the I and Clovis only managed to unite the, all the Franks very late in their life. So they only got a few years to reign. But Clothar, maybe this is why he's called Clothar the Great, unites them all pretty early. Um, so now it's time to deal with Brunhilda,
0: oh.
1: um, In, I'm sure, what was a very fair trial <laughs> <laughs> in the Burgundian city of Renev, um, he accuses her of murdering ten kings. Yeah. Including Clothar's father, both of her husbands, her grandsons and her great-grandsons.
0: Wow. So
1: all of the blame for all of the deaths that have happened in the last episode or so are put on Brunhilde. They
0: may as well just put it all the blame on one blame
1: person. Blame it all on one person. Yeah, exactly. And but what's even more horrifying is the method of execution. Mm. Um and there are a lot of illustrations of Brunhilde's execution. So it, it happened one of two ways. <laughs> So either she was bound by her hands and feet to a horse and dragged through the streets until she died.
0: Okay.
1: Or she had her hands and feet tied to the tails of multiple horses.
0: Oh, that one.
1: That one. And then the horses horses were made.
0: and then like the limbs just got split. Oh, dear. Okay. And And
1: she's an old lady. They're doing this to an old lady. So, yeah, there's a lot of medieval artists have a lot of fun depicting this. I would
0: have rather the four, like the four horses because that would have been a quicker death than dragging through the street so it feels like that might take longer okay what those streets aren't stony
1: (laughs) i'm kind of disturbed by how unhorrified you are by
0: this yeah no it's just because i've read a lot of ancient history and a lot of ancient history is really gruesome stuff yeah yeah Genghis Khan stuff, like, you know,
1: come on. Yeah, well, this is some real Genghis Khan stuff And I kind of already knew that that was a
0: method for French, in French history of the horses. Yeah.
1: But... Um, yeah, I haven't come across another occurrence of this, but, yeah, it's, it's, they've pinned 10 murders on her, so. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you can't, I guess you can't make an omelette without cracking a few eggs. <laughs> and after Brunhilde's death, there followed a period of prolonged peace for oh. the Franks. Um, The main thing we know about this period is that Clothar passed a thing called the Edict of Paris, which we'll get into in Voulez vu It's another load of church laws. (laughs) Um, And Clothar managed to get the nobles and the church on side throughout all the Frankish territories. However, he had to do this by delegating a lot of his power to a figure called the Mayor of the Palace who's going to be a staple in the Frankish realm for a while. So the mayor of the palace or major Palatii in Latin was basically the hand of the king. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Or like the prime minister or yeah. whatever you call it. So he starts out as the protector and administrator of the royal household. So like every little kingdom had a mayor of the palace.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But it evolves into, into becoming the head of, the entire military. Oh
0: wow! <laughs> That's a big jump from a household. Yeah, a
1: yeah, yeah. And basically, the power behind the throne. Yeah. So, because Clothar's realm is so large for an early medieval kingdom, um, he needs three mayors of the palace to help run it. So he's got one in Neustria, one in Austrasia, and one in Burgundy. Yeah. Three main kingdoms, um, and also down in like Aquitaine, in like the southwest, he's got some like dukes and counts sort of running it down there and they're kind of semi sort of in- independent. But so Clothar's pretty into this whole idea of like, I'm the king. I'm like, you know, the spiritual successor of Clovis, the great Clovis. Yeah. But you guys can do what you want in your little regions.
0: As long as it doesn't really like majorly affect me. Exactly. Yeah. It's not the worst way to rule. Like it'd be worse if he was like a dictator, tyrant, like, you know, just yeah. super harsh laws that everyone was like, I'm going to rebel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's gonna have some implications down the line, uh, as we will see, because future kings are gonna be a bit lazy
0: uh,
1: or not be able to do anything because uh, the mayor is like, Don't worry, I'll do this. Uh, and yeah. You know. Um, so the mayors of the palace in Austrasia um have become particularly powerful during the turbulent regency of Brunhilde. And in order to maintain their loyalty, Clothar has to have them let them have sort of even more autonomy. And, um, by the way, the Austrasians are descended from the Ripawarian Franks, the ripped ones, uh, not the Salian Franks. Um, so they're already, there's a bit of a cultural difference, I think, there. Um, so in 617, by the demand of the nobility, the mayor of the palace becomes a role held for life, um, which can also be passed from father to son. Oh, so let's hope that that
0: they're good each time yeah
1: and also the king no longer has control over appointing the mayor of the palace it's Mm. a hereditary thing um although as we will see it's more of a who's the most powerful noble thing because you can always overthrow the mayor of the palace pretty easily yeah um so that's not great um and in 623 clothar's nobles force him to give even more to them uh, and he makes his eldest son Dagobert, who's still a boy at this time, the new king of Austrasia. So he's giving away a, a kingdom to his son. Yeah.
0: Aww.
1: So um, Clothar is still kind of considered the top king, but he's no longer king of all the Franks now. Oh. That's the end of his reign. <laughs> um,
0: How old is he at that
1: stage? I think he's. I uh, haven't read it. So six twenty-three. And he was born in 584. So he's like 40. Oh,
0: so he didn't have it altogether unified for that long.
1: Yeah. It was about 10 years.
0: lose some marks.
1: Yeah. But we'll get into that in the V on Throne round. So da- so Dagobert.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And we'll get into Dagobert next time. Um. He So he becomes king of Astracia. He's
0: going
1: to call him Daggy. Daggy. Oh, little Daggy. <laughs> um. The reason that they want him to be in Astracia is because there's a guy called Pepin the Elder, or Pepin of Landon. Pepin, hey Yeah, he's the mayor of the palace. Um, so he's able to basically run the show when he's yeah. got this kid alongside the powerful bishop of Metz, St. Arnulf. And these two powerful guys, they they unite their dynasties through marriage, and their descendants become known as the Pepinids <laughs> or the Arnulfings, um, whichever term you want to use. It kind of applies to both. Um, and they are the ultimately the ancestors of a little dynasty called the Carolingian dynasty. Uh... Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're sowing the seeds of that future dynasty. These two guys had been the main opposition to Brynhilda, and it was because of them that Clothar was ultimately able to capture and execute her.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, you know, he owes them.
0: Yeah, so he used to give
1: them a lot of leeway. He'd give them a lot of leeway, yeah. But we'll talk more about this stuff in On Guard and what the implications are of this shift. Um, but sadly there's little more known about the life of Clothar in terms of major events. He died peacefully at the grand old age of forty-five. <laughs> <So> old <laughs> On the eighteenth of October, six twenty-nine. But if that sounded like a short reign, it's just because we have lack of details. Yeah. Um because Clothar was king of all the Franks for way longer than Clo- Clovis and Clothar. Oh
0: yeah,
1: true. Um and but we don't but we don't have Gregory to give us all the juicy details. Yeah. So his kingdom is divided between his two sons? Of
0: course.
1: Or at least that's the intention. We'll see if that actually happens next time. So Dagobert's already got Austrasia and Dagobert is also going to get Burgundy. Mm-hmm. But in Neustria the nobles have decided they want the other son.
0: Who's called?
1: Who's called Charibert II.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Charibert the first, I think, was um,
0: Bertie, one of
1: the sons of Clovis. I want to say, I don't know where Charibert the first was, but this is Charibert the second.
0: We're
1: call him Bertie. <laughs> call him Bertie. But there's a lot of Bert's though. We're going,
0: with Bertie. <laughs> okay, Bertie.
1: He's the only Bertie. So Bertie is elected to be king of Neustria by the nobles. So this isn't even Clo- Clovis' choice.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But we'll see if that, if, how that works out next episode.
0: Shall we get into detail now?
1: Yeah, we should get into the judging now. Yes. On Chante. I'll show you a couple pictures.
0: Yay. Okay. Hang on. Okay, let's um, have a look. So you this is his
1: official portrait.
0: Okay. This is
1: by a 19th century artist.
0: Yeah. Obviously, he has the crown. Yeah. And then he's got, like, black looks, but they're starting to go into, like, grey. So it shows that ageing. Mm-hmm. He's got his uh, scepter. Mm-hmm. yeah um then he has obviously like you know the red cloak with the fur trimmings mm-hmm. as most kings do and he's not even looking at us it's like he's doing a little side eye looking away he's a bit distracted yeah it's like he's like he's meant to be taking a photo but then he's like what's out of there
1: yeah there's gonna be a few portraits that are like this where it's like what um what are you oh looking we've, at? we've also got a picture of him as a baby oh this is Fredegund riding into battle holding baby. Okay, so he
0: doesn't look that bad. Some medieval portrayals of babies are really horrifyingly <laughs> creepy. That is one of the best ones I've seen in terms of it actually looking like a baby which and is, not a demon monster. <laughs>
1: which is not saying much. He's, he kind of just looks like a potato. And we have we have a picture of his signature oh. from the Edict of Paris. Um,
0: Nice to see
1: some physical writing. Physical writing. Yeah, so other than that and some sort of vague-looking coins, um, that's mainly what we have. Also, a few other things about his iconography, I suppose. So he's called the Young because he became king as a baby and united the Franks very young, compared to his grandfather, Clothar the Old. But he's also called the Great, um, probably because he ruled in peace for a long time, I think. It's not so much that he was, like, a conquering hero. It's just because people were having a nice time, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that could count as being great. Like, you know, at least you managed to keep your brain peaceful and, you know, yeah, better than having civil war.
1: Yeah. Also, we know that he was a friend of the church. Uh,
0: um, so unlike, the church loves him.
1: Unlike his mom, uh, <laughs> He was not a friend of the church. Um, so, hang on, I'll just get up my spreadsheet, which I always forget to bring up until the, this part thought I'd lost the spreadsheet for a moment. <laughs> my darling spreadsheet. Been it's been my done. one true love. That's
0: really sad.
1: Yeah, my <laughs> my the most important relationship in my life is with my battle royale spreadsheet. <laughs> Sorry, Eliza. You're you're out of the picture what though.
0: About your dog. You've
1: been replaced. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's my I think my dog and my um what
0: spreadsheet, spreadsheet. Are equal value. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what do we want to give Clothar the second for enchanté? Out
0: of
1: 10. Out of 10. It's kind of tricky. Because we don't
0: have, like, a time. There's
1: not a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot.
0: I do like that they show him, like, more aging.
1: Yeah, even though he was only 45 when he died. I know, <laughs>
0: but, like, you know, in terms of, like, usually they always try to show them, like, you know, looking really healthy and yeah, kind of thing.
1: I guess people probably aged quicker back then. Maybe. <laughs> you know, no one has any, like, fa- fancy skin treatments or anything. There's Maybe. no Botox.
0: He, yeah. <laughs> He's going to get a mark for having that signature just because, what well, the others haven't really had signatures, have they?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, I'm going
0: to get a mark for a signature. I do like <laughs> Yeah, because we have,
1: like, a physical copy of yeah. The Addict of Paris. Um,
0: but he just looks like the others.
1: Yeah, he looks a bit like he looks a bit like Clotho the First.
0: Yeah,
1: who um, was just you- kind of lounging. Yeah, but he he's looks on- less relaxed. He's like giving someone side eye. Yeah, he's, like, he's mm. just
0: like, what's going on over there?
1: Yeah, he's like looking over at Distracia and being like, mm, they look too powerful over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it feels
0: like I
1: can't really get the high for this. Uh No, I don't think so. And he's he's no he's not even as iconic as Clovis. Yeah, who had all of like the baptism imagery, remember? And there's no bees. Yeah. Not a sign of a bee.
0: <laughs> I do like the picture of him as a baby going into battle. <laughs> yeah. I think.
1: That's more his mum. I know. The others, Clover the first, we gave, we both gave three. And Clover's the first, you gave 3.5 and I gave 2.5. Or, or maybe it's the other way around.
0: He's just, it seems really like repetitive. He's got to get a mark for his signature. So I think I'm going to give him a two.
1: Give him a two. Yeah, I just can't give
0: him a lot.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I'll also give him. Oh, we do that signature. No,
0: no, you got to mark the, the signature. signature.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Already considered that. Um, yeah, yeah, two. He looks a bit distracted in his picture. It's like, <laughs> dude, this is your official royal portrait. You could at least look at the camera.
0: Even though this was painted like <laughs> no, six hundred years after Yeah, something.
1: yeah. Um, where it's in the 600s, so like 1300 years later, this oh, was painted. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, that's we've talked about that for a long enough time. So that is a four for Enchanté. Yeah. On yeah.
0: en guard.
1: So, on guard, through a bit of uh patience and tenacity, Clothar manages to keep hold of his territories at a quite a young age in the face of Brunhilda and her grandson's aggression. Um, I think a lot of his success was due to them in fighting among themselves.
0: <laughs> not really huge battles.
1: Um, well, we definitely have some battles, but there's not much detail about them. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, but then. Well,
0: we know there's a battle where he, um, avenged his son.
1: Yeah. Well, then he goes on to obliterate them and unite all the Franks. Um, mostly thanks to the nobles who betrayed Brunhilde for him. Um, and as was the case with Clothar the First, it took the death of literally every other male descendant of Clovis to finally bring peace. Um, yeah, so so, so it, it takes Clothar becoming the last Merovingian alive, basically, yeah. except for his sons, for there to be finally be peace. So it's like, you got to kill everyone else first. But then, you know, we'll get into that in Bulevu, but that ends up being good... For peace. <laughs> he
0: did achieve his goals.
1: Yeah. Um, But we do know that Clothar personally fought in battles.
0: That's good.
1: He was obviously a competent military leader. Um, He supposedly personally avenged his son, Meravec. Also, when he was losing the wars, it was when he was, like, still very young.
0: Yeah, so you yeah. can't really blame him for that. Like, yeah. He doesn't have the experience yet. Yeah,
1: yeah. When, he, when he got to, like, 20, then he started winning. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. That tracks. Um, However didn't really expand the territory, the Frankish territory. Um he's unable to maintain control of Brittany, which if you remember a couple episodes ago, Brittany was kind of just like mm. Yeah,
0: it's like doing its own little thing. Brittany's
1: kind of like it's it's kind of a it's kind of a they give tribute to the Franks and stuff. So the Franks don't control it and they're pretty like isolated. Yeah. But um Brittany kind of falls off the map during Clothar's <laughs> reign. It doesn't okay. seem like he's able to keep control over them.
0: Yeah. Well, he's like, I've got too much going on already. Yeah. <laughs> Chill
1: with you. Um and they also are raiding, constantly raiding, um, into the western portion of Clothar's kingdom. Um. So that's not great for Ongard. Um in six thirty eight he he subjugated the Gascons in the southwest. So they're way down at the bottom near Spain. Um, But in reality, they were also very hard to govern. They kind of just did their own thing at the end of the day. Um, But Clothar doesn't necessarily need to expand. It's maybe wise of him to try to conserve what he's got and consolidate the kingdom a bit. Um, But at the same time, he's like, in order to conserve what he's got, Clothar has to cede a lot of his personal power. He's going to delegate a lot of authority to the church and the mayor's, the palace and the other nobles and an entire kingdom to his son. He
0: doesn't greedy.
1: He doesn't seem to be greedy. No. He just seems to kind of chill. Yeah. In spite of the side eye he's giving in this point. Yeah. (laughs) but, yeah, the biggest takeaway for the future here. Maybe yeah,
0: because he had to fight so early on in life that he just, like, when he actually got power, he's like, I just want to relax now. I've done yeah. it all to get this. Like, you know, what's the point of having it if I don't enjoy it? Exactly.
1: But, yeah, Clothar's biggest legacy, unfortunately, is the rise of the mayors of the palace, who we're going to hear about a lot in the <laughs> next few episodes. Um, so there's Pep and the Elder. Um, Or Pepin of Landon, who becomes mayor of the palace in Austrasia. And as I've said, Clothar II makes the title hereditary in 617. So Pepin is able to found a whole bloodline of mayors of the palace, which accumulates power and clout over time. But essentially, it's setting up a second royal family, basically. Yeah. Um, However, the Merovingian monarchy has by this point developed a sort of godlike mystique about it. Um, And it's going to be another century. Before Pepin's dynasty, the Carolingians will actually be able to take the throne. Because they're, as we'll see in an episode or two, there's gonna be a Mayor of the Palace who overstep, um, who try to get too much power and then fall down. So, so they end up being very cautious about this and being like, we don't wanna be the actual king, but we do want all the power. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, you figurehead. Yeah. But we don't want you to realize that you're a figurehead or us to try and get rid
1: of us. Exactly. So it ends up being like no matter how weak the Merovingian king is, or how young or how incompetent or whatever, the realm is gonna keep ticking along. Yeah. And which is kind of good for like, I guess, the personal comfort of that king. Yeah. But it's not gonna be great for their scores. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So also it's very clear from the way that Clothar marries off his his children. That the nobility are forging a stronger dynastic connection to the royal family.
0: Yeah.
1: It's less foreign marriages and it's more internal marrying his daughters to mayors of the palace and marrying his sons to powerful nobles' daughters. And that creates a lot of, it creates, for the nobility, it creates a lot of vested interest in the royal family, which is kind of good. Like you want to protect your like yeah. nephew or whatever. But at the same time, it's also giving them a bit too much prestige, I think, yeah. sometimes. At the end of the day, it's just, Clothar's reign is good for the stability of the realm, but it's bad for the, um, I think it's bad for Ongard, basically, down yeah. the line.
0: Because we're looking at it as his own personal.
1: Yeah. But so... but Clothar himself, he's not like a toothless king yet. Yeah. He's, um, most of what he does is to ensure a nice, long, stable reign. Where he won't be murdered or start a civil war, which we've seen in the past. Um, so he's less about the yeah, he's less about the fame and glory thing, and he's more about just surviving and thriving. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's so great for the on guard score.
0: Yeah.
1: It's maybe good like Voulez Vu stuff, which we'll get into, but for On Guard it's like I'm gonna
0: give him a few points. The battles, just doing little, even just being in any
1: battles. And uniting the realm, I think is good. I think he's going to, I think I'll give him like a middle score, I think, out of 10. Because he's not losing territory. He There's
0: no civil war that he causes, I mean. Yeah, yeah,
1: except for the one where he wins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does win the civil war. So that's a point four.
0: He got his revenge. He got
1: his revenge. Um, also, even though the kingdom ends up getting split up again, it's not violently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, not like his, like, son was like, hate you, dad. But
1: <laughs> again, I think that's, like, vully vu stuff. I think that's, yeah. like, the fact that it's not violent is vooley I think it's still bad for Ongard, I think. True. Yeah. So let's not get it twisted. Yeah. His, there aren't many selfish wins here. Yeah, there
0: really isn't. Yeah.
1: Three. Three. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say four.
0: I'm going to go 3
1: going to go three. Okay. So that's a seven for on guard. Okay. Not looking so good. Um, but Vulevu, this is where he might pick up some points. Yeah. Vous vous? So we've got a long reign and a stable reign. There is still some infighting and feuding and intrigue among the Franks, but it's mostly among the nobles that's who are good. sort of jostling for influence. There's never a question of Clothar being the, the top, the king. Yeah. Yeah. Um so Clothar's home life is also pretty well adjusted which is going to count against him in Ulala <laughs> but is good here um so his family seems to get along pretty well his mm-hmm. sons there's a question as to whether his sons end up murdering each other <laughs> but i think it's unlikely based on sources we have but we'll get into that next episode so he's not considered outstandingly virtuous clothar but he's still viewed highly by the church, mainly thanks to his patronage of new religious houses. So he's supported the continued conversion of the Franks to Christianity, including the work of an Irish missionary called St Columbanus, who, with Clothar's sponsorship, founded the Abbey of Luxeuil, which has become very useful as a place to put rogue sons and <laughs> torture them. <laughs> um, and we've got the edict. Go to the naughty corner. Yes. And we've got the Edict of Paris, which I've been teasing. It's also called the Perpetual Constitution. So it was a significant foundational document in French legal history, um, kind of like the French Magna Carta. Okay. It regulated and defined the powers of the church, the nobles and the crown. So everyone knows where they stand. Um, it established rules of discipline for the nobility um, to prevent them from rebelling kind of an antecedent of like the whole code of chivalry chivalry almost. Uh, It made the Catholic church in charge of all education. (laughs) The church, yeah. So the church is really in control of the reading and writing now. Um, And it made social mobility more difficult. (laughs) So it's about putting everyone in their place, basically. Um, So lower classes of Franks and also native Gauls don't get a lot of power thanks to this edict. Um, Only Frankish nobles can become bishops as well. Um, It also banned Jews from holding royal offices. What
0: does that have against the Jews? I
1: know, it's it's terrible. Like,
0: even, like, in, like, English history.
1: Yeah. And we're going to see further constraints against the Jews throughout French history, unfortunately. Um... So Clothar's successors upheld the edict, so its laws continued into the late Merovingian period. So this is a lasting thing. Yeah. Um, other stuff of voulez I've got a random side story where Clothar II is said to have patronised a goldsmith named Eligius, who later becomes the patron saint of metalworkers. <laughs> Um, so, in the Vita, or life of Saint Eligius, unfortunately, like, saint lives are a lot of the information we get from this period. Because everyone's into the saints, but no yeah. one's as into the kings. Um, so, Clothar it's is... like, pra-
0: you kings aren't doing any miracles, so you don't deserve to be recorded about.
1: Yeah. So, it talks about Saint Eligius's interactions with King Clovis, okay. who's, like, his patron. Yeah. And Clothar is praised as an affable and gentle-hearted king. Oh. Uh, who's generous to workers, like Eligius, and also merciful to criminals. Oh. So it's like I guess it's like as long as you stay in your place, <laughs> don't try to get power or anything as a as a commoner,
0: yeah.
1: um, then Peasants. he likes you. I guess he kind of seems like a bit of a modern politician.
0: Yeah.
1: Where it's like, is he doing anything? I don't know. But he's I <laughs> like he seems friendly. But ultimately, we can't deny that this is the beginning of the decline of the Merovingians. So it's sort of a golden age, but after this, the seeds have been sown mm. for destruction um so charles oman in 1898 described them as having bartered away their future trading real power for the mere facade of glory um and we've got another more effusive quote from oman charles oman is very um opinionated opinionated, yeah Um, he's one of those victorian historians he's Uh, like oh i don't like it so he's like it at all Nothing more could be hoped for the Franks till they had rid themselves of the nightmare incubus of this wicked house, whose repulsive annals are, on the whole, the most hopeless and depressing page in the history of Europe.
0: God, brutal!
1: So I'm looking forward to exploring that chapter of Merovingian history. It really
0: is like... <laughs> like, not just in France, though. People say all of Europe.
1: Yeah, it's like, you are a stain on European history. God. Yeah, And this is, yeah, this is gonna be the start of that. But... Vulevu, I think we have some points yeah. for Clovis. Not Clovis, Clothar. <laughs> Get
0: your clothes right.
1: Get your clothes right. Put your clothes on. <laughs> um, so what do you think? It's not great if you're a Jewish
0: yeah. or a peasant,
1: peasant unless but you're saying allegiance.
0: there's no civil war like mm. in terms of like affecting the commoners, which I think is quite like badly, I mean. Yeah. Which is quite good for like non-selfishness.
1: Yeah.
0: And, like, you know, obviously he has, like, the patron metal work, which is nice to see, like. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it feels like he needs a few points for that. Because mm-hmm. he does, it like, it's a peaceful reign, it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like there wasn't too much, like, you know, infighting, at least not what's recorded, so. Yeah. Um, which based off what we have. So, it feels I should give him, like, a four.
1: Okay. Um... Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, the Jewish thing's really annoying me. <laughs> um, I think...
0: Well, that's why he didn't get a five from me. He lost a point.
1: He lost a point. I think... I think I'll... I think I might give him a five, actually. I'm, like, I'm always, like, tidy, a bit more generous than you are. Because I think he does do a lot of good ruling. True.
0: Oh, and he did do the laws that...
1: Yeah, the laws set everything straight, put everyone in their place.
0: Good for amount. better
1: or worse, yeah. I'm doing five. Are you still doing four? I'll
0: do
1: 4.5. 4.5? 4. Okay. So that is a 9.5 for Vulevu. No, not the
0: worst.
1: Still hasn't got anything above ten, and I don't think he's going to get anything above ten in the next round either. <laughs> <gasps> Ooh la la. Unlike Clovis the First, or Clothar the First, Clothar the Second tried this new thing called monogamy.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he takes after the example of his uncle, King Guntram, who we know was very virtuous, rather than his mother, Fredegund, who we know was a bit of a... Fun
0: time? She,
1: she had fun. She had more fun. Uh, Kothar's like, no fun for me.
0: I'm not good. He's like, I'll be prude.
1: He had three wives, oh. but they were consecutive.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So they, they two of them died early which is unfortunate. Um, And this is part of why the church liked him. They had had never particularly liked the whole polygamy thing that these Frankish kings kept doing. Um, they kind of put up with it because the Franks have axes. You don't want to get on the wrong side of the axes.
0: True.
1: Um, The only real black spot on Clothar's character is the brutal way he killed Brunhilde, I would say.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think that's a pretty scandalous way to kill a queen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And pinned all of the murders that he that were committed in his name and his mother's name on her yeah so that's pretty scandalous i think yeah. that's sweeping a lot of uh skeletons into the clothes sweeping a lot of stuff under the rug yeah. you know um but brutal executions were common in this period um but this is an old lady and a queen so i feel like it should count for some scan some scandalous points. And other than that, there's not much apart from the usual brutality that comes with being a Dark Age king, you know.
0: Yeah. I just like that, <laughs> I just feels like hot, I really like, can't oh, give him a lot, like.
1: No, not at all.
0: Two, just for the. I was thing. gonna go
1: one, because there's only one thing, you know. But yeah, maybe two. Well,
0: he did like hunt down her down.
1: Yeah. Like
0: he, or, like, yeah, he hunt her down. down. He like. He was not just like, I'll let it go. He was like, no. Hunt her down. Hunt down. Yeah.
1: Killed the babies. Or killed her great-grandsons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's worth two, at least. So I'm
0: going to give
1: two. I think I'm going to do two as well. So that's a four. Ooh la la. Yeah.
0: Hopefully
1: the other kings will have some better scandal. Yeah. The Vion Throne. So his length of reign, as king of Neustria, um, he reigned for 45 years. Wait, um, from a little baby around four, 584 <laughs> until his death in 18th of October, 629. So his entire life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he only reigned as king of all the Franks from the 18th of October, 629, when he finally de- defeated Brunhilde and conquered Austrasia and Burgundy, until about 634, when he was compelled by the nobles to cede Austrasia to his son, Dagobert. So for when he's just king of Neustria, that's getting half points. So it's 36 years as a partial king, which would give him six point six points, but actually gives him three point three points because okay. we're having it. Um, and then the nine years as full king give him two points. Okay.
0: He gets five.
1: So that's five, five point zero seven points mm-hmm. overall for the reign score. Uh, then his family, he had five children they all survived? Know, well, not the
0: baby
1: one, not the baby one, not Meravec. Um, apart from that, I th- and another son who died in infancy, I so. think they all survived. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Five surviving children. He's got a daughter at the end who like, we're not sure how long she lived.
0: But yeah.
1: Her name's Oda. Mm-hmm. Um, like it. So yeah, I'll go through, I'll go through the children cause we haven't talked about them. So by his first wife, Halda Trude, um, he had Meravec. The baby mm-hmm. was killed. Emma, who married the Anglo-Saxon king, Eadbald of Kent um, and is actually credited with bringing Christianity to the Anglo-Saxons a oh, little bit yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that she possibly married a mayor of the palace called uh, Chinawold who uh, we'll talk about in a couple episodes actually, uh, Chinawold will live a long time and continue to be um, a person so he was the mayor of the palace in Neustria okay. the western kingdom yeah um, and then we've got Dagobert the first, the king of Austrasia. So basically Emma and Dagobert by the first okay. wife. Second wife, Bertrude. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a son, son who died in infancy. And then Bertha, mm-hmm. who married Warnacar, who was the mayor of the palace in Burgundy. Yeah. Maybe. And he was the chief noble who betrayed Brunhilde. Oh. Yeah, or one of them. There's a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then by his third wife, Sichild. Yeah. Um, He had Charabert II, who was proclaimed king of Neustria, and Oda. Okay. So overall, that's five children, legitimate children, who survived him.
0: That's pretty good.
1: Which is the same number, I think, as Clovis and Clothar before him. Yeah, (laughs) they're consistently having five children. But we'll see if they will, you know, survive very long (laughs) past (laughs) his death. So that's 8.44 points for the children. And so that's a total score of 13.5 out of 20. Which I think is the highest score yet for Beyond Throne. Um, It's just a tiny bit higher than Clothar the First. Yeah, he got (laughs) 13.4. So, I guess we should tally up the final score.
0: Yes, what does that give us?
1: Oh, he's got a 38 out of 100. Mm. So, for context, Clovis, Clothar, and Fredegund all got around 50. And he's down on thirty-eight. Yeah. So with that on in mind, uh, is he fascinating enough? Entertaining enough? Majestic, fabulous, irresistible, awesome, great? He's called the great.
0: No, he's <laughs> not. No,
1: no. I don't think he's going to survive. He I don't
0: even have that title of the great.
1: I know yeah. it's it really hyped him up for nothing. I know. Really, it
0: really let me down. Yeah, he's no Alexander. No, Catherine. No.
1: No, no any other great. So I'm sorry, Clovel the Second. Um, I'm sure Brunhilde will be very happy to see you dragged to the guillotine. Yeah.
0: You're I feel like face in the
1: ass. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Clovel the Second when he gets dragged to the guillotine, he'll just be like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> don't put it. Don't bring his son to the guillotine though, because he will avenge. You know. So, but we'll see if his son survives the guillotine. Yeah. yeah. So he will not be moving ahead. He'll be headless. <laughs> and I think we'll have played the sound effect by now. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is the first episode we've recorded since the release of our introductory episode mm-hmm. on the Gauls, Ra- Romans and Franks, which I hope nobody skipped.
0: We're doing it of time because we're going, we're basically in
1: lockdown. Yeah, we're basically in lockdown. So we're, so we're just recording a few because we don't know what the future's going to hold. So we
0: don't know when we'll next see each other. Yeah and we
1: want you guys to have regular episodes at least for like two months. Yeah, yeah. Um so we thank you all for your amazing feedback yes. cuz that's been great. Um not only personal friends, but also strangers we don't know, I know. That's are really matter. yeah, excited to listen to our podcast. Mostly they found it because of some lovely other podcasters on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram who've been retweeting us and sharing the love. Whenever I explain the podcast to people, it always seems really niche. And then people listen to it and they're like, oh, I actually really liked it. Like, they're <laughs> surprised. People have been loving our asterisk references. Do we I have, have no, any in i am going to let
0: you down when I tell you this. I've You've never, never read <laughs> the
1: Asterix. Never. Well, that's why I think we should eventually do a bonus episode where we talk about asterisks.
0: I was always a Tintin girl.
1: You were always a Tintin yeah, girl? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know how
0: they always have asterisks and Tintin next to each other in the store? I well, maybe. I'd always look at Tintin.
1: Well, maybe if we do a bonus, we do we start doing bonus episodes, or like patron episodes or something. You could do a Tintin one. You could run a Tintin one. I could run it's an asterisk one.
0: French.
1: Tintin's French, yeah.
0: It's
1: Belgium. Oh, well, the Franks are in Belgium. <laughs> we can talk about that. Um, also, there's a lot of French kings who actually rule Belgium as well. True. So you know, it counts. <laughs> it counts. We've also had some love from uh, Lucy Hines who is starting her own podcast called tudoriferous oh
0: yeah
1: i think eliza and i could both say we're excited about that because yes. we're big tudor fans yes
0: actually i was been watching the tudors the other day which i know it's like so inaccurate
1: yeah like- oh i have a see- I just, I have I a love like hate it. relationship with the tudors no, I'm not watching, I'm like natalie, dormer. natalie dormer is iconic okay. i i hate uh john uh what's his name mm. Henry the Eighth, no, the guy yeah, who plays yeah, VIII. Yeah. Also, I hate Margaret in that as well. She's not even the right name. I know. Or marries the right king, whatever. But oh, I love Anne
0: Cleves in it though. I'm like, it's so sweet. Joss
1: Stone, she's yes. like the chillest Anne Cleves. I know. <laughs> um, she's
0: like how I imagine Anne Cleves. Um, just
1: chill, just and to- like
0: surviving.
1: Yeah, surviving. Yeah, thriving. Okay, so but apparently Tudoriferous. They're also going to talk about a couple French kings who were alive at the time um cuz they they're just covering all the people in that area so they're going to probably talk about like Francis I who's like the French Henry VIII I always like to say the better Henry VIII <laughs> but we'll get to him um speaking of crossovers I recently learned that the Roman Emperors totalis rankium podcast is planning on doing their next season about the Holy Roman Emperors oh so basically the German emperors they would probably talk about Charlemagne I imagine if Good. they're doing that um so yeah, that might, that might be like the first ever Rexypod crossover where two Rexypods review the same person.
0: Yeah.
1: That, mm, that might be weird. Or maybe Tudoriferous will get there first. We'll be reviewing yeah, French we, Kings at the same time. Yeah, we've got a while to go. Yeah, we've got a while to go. So we've also got some love from the Flatpak History of Sweden podcast, um, which has been engaging with us on Twitter. And they have a similar sort of lighthearted, chatty format. I don't think they review people, but and they do-
0: talk about Sweden.
1: Yeah, they're just going through Swedish history. Oh, I do
0: history. love Sweden. Yeah,
1: they're oh. they're up to the 13th century right oh. now, so they've probably done all the Vikings. I was
0: in Sweden last year. So nice. Yeah, ah, we
1: want to have. I think we should have like a little love affair with this podcast because Sweden and France are like historical bros. I think. Okay. There's a lot of crossovers in their history that are really interesting, um, especially towards the later sort of period. Um, so Chris from this podcast says uh, this was fun. Looking forward to the ranking episodes. By the way, Asa, who is his co-host, is a fencer, and they definitely say on guard in fencing. <laughs> uh, plus, we appreciate the excellent Abba-inspired round. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: did go to that museum when I was in Sweden. You did I too, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, you've been to Sweden. I, know. I always forget you've been to Sweden. I was there for
0: like a week and. It was- great.
1: You were there for like the last week before COVID. Yeah it was like
0: right before you <laughs> went into lockdowns Yeah, for the first time so I had a great time there. Not that Sweden really ever went into
1: lockdown but. Actually we've never talked about our lockdown story on this yeah. podcast. We'll
0: tell them
1: later. We can tell them- oh, we'll can tease, <laughs> tease yeah, that. Yeah tease it out. Yeah but we basically spent the first few months of the first coronavirus lockdown in Edinburgh together yeah. where I moved Um, and Eliza was like
0: can I come too? <laughs> like, yeah, basically, I was like, I don't know how I'm getting home. Yeah. There's like all the flights, like 10 grand. Yeah. I'm just going to come to you.
1: Because we'd been traveling around together yeah. and then your travel unfortunately got cut short and I yeah. moved to Edinburgh. So I was meant
0: to travel for like 10 months.
1: Yeah. We ended
0: up having a good time and we had some nice flatmates. Yeah. So they're listening to us. We're saying hello.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of our episode.
0: Yeah.
1: Give us a follow on social media as ever. Battle Royale. Our- Podcast or Battle Royale pod it's different.
0: It's You'll find it. You know, it's on all the main social medias, Facebook. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you found um, this podcast, you've definitely found us on social media. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Without time to tell you.
1: Yeah. Um, so, and there's also, most importantly, we've got the WordPress site, battleroyalepodcast.wordpress.com, where we have a blog where we talk about some of the other, we've, we've got some of the other images that we'll talk about. And we'll have a map of the Frankish kingdom at this time and we'll have a family tree that's like updated every episode so it gets bigger and bigger <laughs> <laughs> as it goes on and let us know what you thought of clothar the second if we judged him too harshly because i think we were quite harsh this time yeah just because of like lack of details it's i like,
0: know it's hard but it's like it give like a fully accurate one because it full life.
1: yeah but he wasn't a train wreck yeah and we're gonna get we're gonna get some train wrecks uh so that's gonna be our au revoir from me.
0: Goodbye from me.